passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Bust and Loose Baseball, hosted by Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer, gives you in-depth analytics and interviews on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Now, here's your host, Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball, episode 87. Alongside Toby Altizer, I'm Grant Paulson, producer Darius Dameron, making the whole thing. Toby, what's up? Nothing much. Last week of the regular season. It's crazy, Grant, that we're already here. And, I mean, I'm still looking at win number 70, still just one win away. So if they could get to that mark, they got five more games to do it. So find a way to get there. But it's crazy that we're already to the end of the regular season like this. Yeah, there's a couple things, I think, still on the line. They're definitely going to win another game and get to 70. I'd like to see him, you know, get two or three of these final five would be nice. Depends on, you know, how much Atlanta's got on the line. I can't imagine there'll be much in their final few games. They might be lining things up for the postseason, which would help. But also, as someone who grew up an Orioles fan and still as an American League club, kind of roots for them to do well, I won't be in this camp. But I know that a lot of Nationals fans and a lot of Orioles fans hate each other and that the organizations are often at odds. It would be a big deal, I think, for some people in the Nats fan base if they could take a couple from the Birds right when they're trying to win the American League East and knock them into wildcard contention. Now, again, as someone who wants good things to happen for the Orioles, I'm not one of those people. But I know that there's plenty of folks in the fan base that we speak with and to with all of these podcasts that would get a lot out of that. Yeah, and if you're an O's fan, you know, you cheer for them still. you obviously still a Nationals fan. Listen to this podcast. Like, they've got some of their guys going. Like, Bradish is going, comes in with a 301 ERA on Tuesday as we record. Wednesday, they got Grayson Rodriguez on the hill. So, and he's been really good lately. So, 
it's going to be a tough task. But yeah, I mean, I think if you're a Nationals fan and you despise the O's, you know, the O's have something to play for right now. They're fighting down to the end here and the Nationals, I mean, outside of getting to win number 70, it's just kind of finishing up the regular season for them. But they got a chance. Josiah Gray on the mound making probably his last start of the year. I mean, can he come out and have a, a good outing? We'll see. I mean, I'm excited to see what they can do over the last week. Because like you said, with the Braves, you know, I was down in the clubhouse and there were some guys talking, uh, some of the reporters and basically saying the vibe around the Braves right now is we have the most meaningless week of baseball left. Can we just get this thing over with and go play playoff baseball? And that's kind of what it is for the Braves. So maybe you go down there and win a couple and just end the season on a high note because I – you know, this season overall for the Nationals has been really fun, and this last month has been a little bit of a slog. But at the same point, if you can finish on a high note and just remember how how much they've overachieved this season, it's a good thing. Yeah, they'll have been earned, to your point, with the pitchers on the mound for the Birds. And I, I like that, right? You're going up against a team that needs to win with their top pitching on the hill, and, and I think it's... Nothing. If nothing else, it's a good experience. I, I don't know if I would call it practice, but it's it's important for this young Nats team to play these kinds of games, right? Where maybe you don't have the same urgency or that that same necessity to win, but your opponent does, and they're going up against guys that are going to be starting games one and two potentially for Baltimore in a division series or an LCS if they're able to get there. So I think all those things are good. Uh, all right, let's talk organizational award winners. They doled out those awards on Friday night. In fact, 106.7, the fan night on Friday, we were down on the field while they were giving those awards out, and we can talk a little bit about our experience that night. But let's not bury the lead. Kyle Finnegan named the Pitcher of the Year. Uh, I had a vote and voted for him as my Pitcher of the Year. Uh, I think this was kind of a no-brainer. The 32-year-old, 65 games, his ERA of 3.74 actually is a, a little bit uh, misleading now because he had one blow-up inning. It was actually a lot better than that for much of the season. But 67 innings, only 63 hits, 61 strikeouts, a 250 average against. You know he's going to end up pitching in close to 70 appearances for the Nationals, and kind of circuit to circuit was their most reliable reliever this season with 27 saves in an elevated role. Uh, there was a lot to like about Finnegan's year, who was just kind of not only durable, but I think really trustworthy and reliable for the vast majority of this season. Yeah, I mean, up until you got until September and, you know, the first couple outings of the year. So if we just go from his fourth outing all the way up until the start of September, he had an ERA of 192. I mean, this is a guy that has played super well all season long. And to me, like, I, I don't disagree with it at all. I just kind of wish that it would have been a way that give it to Josiah after he had an all-star first half, but he struggled so much. And the guy that's been the most consistent all throughout the year is Kyle Finnegan. Like you said, basically every single time he goes out there, you feel good about it. And I think I can safely say that I was wrong when I talked about some of these pitchers earlier in the season, especially around the trade deadline. I was like, look, if you can trade one of the guys, I don't see these guys being helpful arms as a setup guy or a closer on a world series or a championship ball club. And I think Finnegan could be that. Like, I think he's, I don't know if you want him as the closer, but I think he can be a reliable arm in the back end of a bullpen because you saw that for a long stretch of this season. And, you know, I think the la the struggles over the last month have basically been some of the same stuff that we've talked about with other guys. It's going for the long season, and he's one of the few guys that they trust in the back end of that bullpen, so he gets used in every close game. 
And I think you're starting to see him get a little bit tired. But, you know, if you had some more options and all those sorts of things where you would have with a, a good ball club, I think you can conserve some of his energy. And I think he would have been efficient to the end. So I love the fact that Finnegan gets some recognition because this is a guy that hardly ever gets recognized. Yeah, I agree. I didn't give it too much thought to go elsewhere, but I will say that as I dug deeper into the numbers when I was voting on this, I would say that his season, like the underlying numbers are worse than his performance, if that makes sense. So like he has a 3.74 ERA, his fielding independent pitching is 4.49 as an example. Um, you look at his strikeout rate and it has been as high as 10 per nine. And last year was nine and a half per nine. It's down to 8.2 per nine this year. His walk rate was actually up a hair. Like, I think it's pretty easy to make the case that he actually had a better season for the Nationals last year, oddly. It didn't really feel that way because his stretch of a few months was so dominant. But the the bread of this sandwich, like the beginning of the year and the end of the year, was rougher. And I just chose to, you know, the, the 90% of the season there in the middle, the meat and cheese, so to speak, I focused on that. And I think that's where he was at his best. You know, the the start and finish is kind of why the numbers skewed maybe a little worse from an underlying standpoint than last year. But he throws the ball hard, fastball velocity, 93rd percentile. He gets a lot of ground balls because he's got, you know, some plane and he could throw low in the zone. Uh, ground ball percentage was 77th percentile. He, he releases the ball out toward home plate with extension. I think uh, he's better than basically three out of every four pitchers in terms of extension in baseball. The issue for him has long been that he gets barreled, right? His average exit velocity, believe it or not, was like first percentile. I mean, guys really hit the ball hard off of him. Expected ERA was 31st. Expected batting average was 25th percentile. He doesn't really get a lot of chase. His chase rate was 8th percentile. So this is not someone that I would want closing for the Nationals, to your point, when they are winning a World Series. Uh, I still think your point from earlier in the year is probably correct. Um, maybe he could be a you know a right on right setup man or something like that, or certainly a seventh inning arm. There, there's value to him. He's a very solid reliever, but uh, I, I'm not ready to say that like he should be a fixture long term. If that makes sense. Yeah, and I think like you know with relievers, it's so finicky not to try and play off of his name, but they're just so finicky. One year they got it, next year they don't have it, and so. You know, the results this year were mostly good. Like you said, maybe if you take off September and the first couple in April, you've got a really good closer. You've got a really good reliever. This is a guy that for a majority of the season was probably one of the better closers in the National League. If you just look at his statistics, the peripherals weren't great, but, you know, the results on the field were. So I think you got to reward a guy for having a year like that. It's kind of what we talked about with Lane Thomas, who we're going to get into here in a second. But it's kind of like what – we talked about with Lane Thomas not being named an all-star. Who knows if he has a season like this again. You got to recognize these kinds of guys that might only have one-off seasons like that. You got to recognize them when they have them so that they, you know, they feel appreciated. You mentioned Lane Thomas. That's a nice transition into the organizational hitter of the year for the second time in as many seasons. Last year it was kind of by default though, I thought. Like there was nowhere else to go. And it kind of, you held your nose a little bit and you kind of cringed and you said, oh, Lane Thomas, I guess. This year, uh, well-earned and a legitimately good offensive season. Uh, average is sitting at 270. OPS right now is at 791, about 70 points above league average. 27 home runs, 
you know, he didn't hit one in April. Remember, he, he didn't hit his first home run of the season till like week number five. So if you go back and replay April, it's probably like a 32 homer, 93 RBI or so season for Lane Thomas, which is impressive. And it comes along with 20 stolen bases as well. I mean, if you go back in the annals of, you know, Nats baseball uh, and, and look for guys who had 25 homers and stole 20 bases, I'm pretty sure it's just Ian Desmond. Trey Turner never did it. Uh, Bryce Harper never did it. Uh, Alfonso Soriano, who went 40-40, is the other one in year two for the Nationals. But it was Desmond and and Soriano, I think, when I looked this up in terms of 25 homer, 20 stolen base seasons. I, I don't know if I said that. I may have said Ian Desmond twice. But Trey Turner uh, is the one I meant that, that didn't do it that you would have thought might have. So quite an accomplishment for him to hit 25 homers, steal 20 bags. Now you could talk about the difference in, in steals this year and how much easier it is to do. And, and that's fair, but uh, wow, really, really cool and impressive to see that uh, he went 25 and 20. Yeah. I mean, just so far in the season, he's already played five more games than he did last year. He's got 10 more homers. He's got 33 more RBIs, 12 more stolen bags. And this is a guy that's 27 now going to be 28 next year. And, you know, that's kind of when you start thinking guys start hitting their prime. And now he's really getting to play the full slog of games. He played most of them last year, and now he's kind of getting to do that on a regular basis. And I think you're starting to see the guy that the Nationals traded for, a guy that can be a good player. Maybe he's not going to be an all-star. I think he could have been this year, but maybe he's not going to be an all-star caliber player. Maybe he's not going to be someone that has to stick in the outfield when Cruz and those guys come up. Maybe he ends up just being a fourth outfielder. But he makes you make decisions is what's something I've talked about this year. I want you to have to make difficult decisions, and I think that Rizzo's going to have to make one with Lane Thomas. Is he a part of the future? Is he a part of an outfield when some of the younger guys come up? Does he get bumped to the bench? Do they trade him? And it's something where he's come out and played really well this season, and I love the fact that he's been able to play basically every single day. He's played 151 games, and he's got a good arm in right field. He's been solid. I mean, he's had, you know, little stretches where he struggled, but for the most part, I'd say he's been pretty solid all season long. Like he's he's had little streaks, no doubt about it. There's some where he just gets absolutely crazy hot and you can't seem to get him out. And then sometimes he goes a little bit cold. But I think the thing for Lane Thomas this year that's been the difference is he hasn't had the 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 cold streaks last like a month at a time, which has happened in the past. So I think you've seen him grow. I think the question going off of this grant is, you know, he's going to be a part of the organization next year. We'll see what happens with some of these young outfielders. Is this something that he can do again? Because 27 homers, 85 RBIs, like you said, his April was a little bit weird. Maybe he ends up with 30 homers if he has a better year, or maybe he has a last uh, a hot last week and finishes with 30 homers. But is it something where you could see him being above 25 homers and having 80-plus RBIs again next year? Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center 
Twitter anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. So it's a really good question. A couple of things. I mean, number one, you mentioned the outfield work that he did. 17 outfield assists. Think about how much added value that is, Tobe, at cutting down base runners after hits or mm-hmm. you know, getting guys who are advancing after fly balls. A couple of guys you know, banged at the plate, right? Tied for the major league lead with Nolan Jones of the Colorado Rockies. No one has thrown out more runners. And behind those two guys, Jones and Thomas, Ian Happ is like five outfield assists away. Fernando Tatis is six. No one else is within seven. Acuna's got 10. So really an incredible year in terms of his accuracy, his arm strength, throwing guys out. Um, So I think that is maybe where you you start the conversation. Because I've even thought at times, I'm like, well, someone maybe, when you have everyone get to the big leagues next year, could just move to first base of that outfield mix. And you start to think about who that could be. And, you know, and it's like, well, you want it Lane Thomas in the outfield uh, making plays and throwing the baseball as kind of a starting point to the conversation based on 17 outfield assists. So I, I, I think with the young guys coming up, you cross that bridge when you get there. You just don't know. Does someone get hurt? Does someone uh, not get to the big leagues till August? Right. Like he's going to be in, in the major league outfield on opening day. We know that. Then when does Dylan Cruz graduate, who finished the year in double A? When does James Wood graduate, who's going to be in triple A probably at the start of the year? When does, um, you know, whether it's Dalen Lyle or, or any of the other outfielders that are coming, like start to move up the pike a little bit? Jacob Young presumably is a guy that could start in the outfield on opening day and become a fourth outfielder as those guys graduate. Do you add a bat? Like, do they go? God forbid, spend a little bit of money and bring in a run producer who can hit a couple of home runs and drive in some runs to play, you know, one of those other spots in April and May. Uh, and, and maybe it's someone that can move to first base when Cruz and, and Wood get there. Like th- these are all things that interest me. Uh, but having said that, uh, I think it's very easy to just kind of put him in pen on opening day uh, in the outfield for the Nationals, knowing. He'll be back after the second straight year where he was their organizational uh, big league player of the year offensively. The one thing I wanted to say about Thomas, though, is I do wonder a little bit, and I want to bounce this off you. So his second half was not nearly as good as his first half. And if if this was, you know, I'm just picking a guy, but like Aaron Judge or uh, Mookie Betts or something, you just go, oh, well, it wasn't as good as his first half. But because we all kind of thought he was playing above his head and he was going to crash back down to earth, you kind of wonder about that a little bit. Like his post all-star break OPS is actually a little bit below big league average. It's right around 715, I think. Um, His batting average since the all-star break is 224. Now he has hit for power, 13 home runs and 36 driven in in about 65 games. But his average has been down almost 75 points. His OPS has been down uh, from 840 to 715. And so I guess my my long-winded question here is, uh, is that also some indication of, like, 
over 162, he can't play at that level that we kind of became accustomed to. Like that, that could be revealing in some way, or was it just a stretch that he had? Cause it's baseball. Is he a 2020 guy every year? Maybe there's plenty of value in that, but is he more, you know, a 260 hitter than 280? Is he more a 740 OPS guy than 800? Like, I think that that those are fair questions to ask. The bottom line is he raked against lefties. And here's what I'm sure about. I would use that guy in the future against left-handed pitching as part of a platoon at the least, right? He hit 325 with a 940 OPS against left-handed pitching this year, dude. Like you look at his, yeah. his sl- he slugged 570 off lefties. He was one of the best hitters in baseball against Southpaws. Like that's what I'll put in Sharpie right now is that as long as you want him around here getting ABs against lefties, I'm cool with it. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely a guy that's going to be a lefty killer. So, you know, he can stick around for that. To your question about, you know, the second half and some of the struggles, you know, we talked about his difference in approach. And part of the reason that I started to feel a little more confident in him as a player way back in May, I believe, when he first started to hit the home runs was – you know, him talking about his difference in approach and trying to hit the fastball and kind of reacting to the breaking ball. And Davey talked about that with some confidence. And both of those guys seem really thrilled with this. I don't know if it's a breakthrough kind of thing, but they both seem like, all right, maybe we've found something with Lane Thomas. And, you know, I thought he had an all-star first half because of it. Obviously, major league pitchers have adjusted. And in the second half, they found some things. You know, the batting average down around 220 in the second half. You know, I think he's not a 280 hitter. I don't think what he did this year is going to be something he does again next year. But I think the home runs are still going to be there because he has about the same number of home runs in the second half as he did in the first half. You know, the stolen bases, like we talked about with the bigger bags, whatever with those, maybe it's still there because of the bigger bags or it maybe it changes. I don't know, but I'm not as worried about the stolen bags, but I think the power is still going to be there. Like you said, I think he's still going to be able to hit against lefties, but I think, you know, in reality, this is a guy that can hit 20 homers for you. He's probably going to hit around 250, and you can live with that. Like, that's a guy that can stick around and be a platooner against lefties, or that's a guy that can be your right fielder when some of the young guys come up, or he can be your fourth outfielder if you just need a guy coming off the bench. Like, I think Lane Thomas has solidified himself as a part of this team going forward, and I think that he can give you solid production. Maybe he doesn't give you what he did this year because this year has been a really good year for him. And, you know, that's, again, why we're talking about crediting these guys when they have years like this. I mean, is Lane Thomas going to be able to go 27 homer, 85 RBI, 280 hitter again? I don't know. I'd love to be wrong and say that he can do it again. I don't know that he will, but credit to him for having a heck of a year this year. Well said, Tobe. Well said. All right, let's get to the organizational good guy, and I'll let you lead off here and, and I'll come in after you. Uh, Josiah Gray. I say the good guy award. That's what we call it in football. I think it was the maybe the media award, or I don't know exactly what they called it. But uh, essentially, it was given to the player who's most accommodating and you know pleasant uh, and, and professional with the, the media. Uh, summed up, it's, it's the nice guy award. Uh, Josiah Gray won the award. Yeah, and he's just such a great guy in the clubhouse. You know, he, he's been someone that obviously among his teammates is a great leader. He's always super nice with the media. He's never barking at people. He's never giving short answers. He's insightful. He does a great job of handling everything. He's just professional about everything. And on top of that, he's had a, a really good year. At times he's struggled. And, 
you know, that's where you can kind of see where these guys win awards. He's really struggled since the all-star break and he hasn't turned into a curmudgeon at his locker. You know, he's still someone that's willing to talk and willing to work through things and understands how things work. And so it's a credit to him. I mean, this is a guy that's very mature and, acts like it in the clubhouse. He's a good leader. And so I, I think this is well-deserved. You wish it were more something on the field for his merit, but I think for him, what he's been able to do in that clubhouse, he's one of those leaders and being a good guy and making sure that he works with the media and showing some of the younger guys how to go about it and go about your business every single day, especially among starting pitchers. It's a credit to him, and I'm glad he gets rewarded with it. Yeah, and obviously – made some strides on the mound this season, most notably in the first half, went on a great run and ended up at the All-Star game. And that's kind of my Josiah Gray memory in terms of, you know, his, him being a good dude this season. Uh, he's come on the show a few times. We've had him on the podcast, but he comes on with Danny and I in D.C. on our daily show quite a bit. Great interview, very, very warm and accommodating and answers everything. And just, you know, a lot of guys give you stock answers and they're kind of short and, you know, it's almost like they do the same interview every time they've ever done an interview. And he's really thoughtful, which I've always appreciated. He's one of the best guests in D.C. sports, as far as I'm concerned, uh, for radio interviews. And I mean that. But on top of that, uh, I saw him out at the All-Star game and, and caught up with him, you know, in the uh, dugout. And here he is during batting practice. He could be out there hanging out with a bunch of big league All-Stars. And he took the time to sit down with me and, and do an interview. And I just remember how excited he was to be there and how it really was oozing off of him, like almost the vibes you get of a kid at somewhere, you know, where he was just so pumped. And I, I remember saying to him, like, man, I'm, I'm really excited for you. I'm really proud of you. Like, this is awesome. And I, I don't know. It's one thing to just say, oh, thanks a lot. But like he earnestly was appreciative of, of hearing that. And you, you could just tell with people when they're genuine. He's also done a lot of really good work at the Nats Youth Academy. And remember, like he even had his own. Uh, a bad moment this season where he yelled out to the outfield and Jacob Young and immediately apologized after the game in the clubhouse, if you remember that. And that was like so uncharacteristic and it was stunning that it was Josiah Gray doing it. Like you, you just don't see that. And it's, it's you know, his frustrations of weeks and weeks boiled over. But the, the reason that was such a big story and deal was it was not the norm. And it's a great example of, you know, track record mattering. People know what you're about. They know what kind of guy you are. No one's going to judge you by your worst moment when that's not how you typically act. Uh, and uh, he, I just, I, I'm happy for him. It, not only the success he had for that major stretch of this season, but hopefully he goes back to the well. He, he now knows what works, what doesn't. When I was going well, what did it feel like? What was I doing? And frankly, I just think there's a mechanical you know, adjustment that's probably needed to get him back on track. And it might mean that the car's got to go back into the garage to do it, you know, which, which is the off season. You can't really do that between starts necessarily. Yeah. And I think for him, it's still just finding that perfect mix of pitches because his fastball is clearly not it. He still gets hammered on the fastball and he's thrown it less and less, but it's just finding that perfect mix. So he doesn't walk so many guys, you know, that's the main thing is increasing the command. So that way that he can, stick inside the zone and he's not giving up so many walks but finding ways to make it work whether it's keeping the sweeper whether it's adding in a changeup, whatever the case may be I think for him getting the offseason go work on the mechanics like you were saying find a way to get back to what he was doing 
earlier in the year and then find a way to still improve because like we talked about earlier in the year, I think some of the things like we talked about with Finnegan, his numbers were good, but his peripherals weren't great. Now it's about finding a way to make the numbers good as well as the peripherals. Make it so that you're not walking so many guys. Make it so you're not giving up home runs like he was last year, and he did a great job of improving on that this year. So just finding ways to keep growing, and you know this is why we talk about him not having maybe the highest ceiling, but he's still someone that goes out there and battles, and he's still someone that goes out there every single time, and you feel like you got a chance. So I've really liked what he's done this year, and it's it's cool to see – I think really the three leaders of the team this year, you would say maybe if you wanted to throw in a guy like a CJ or maybe if you want to throw in a Cabert Ruiz. But I think overall, if you were to ask who maybe the three best players or the three leaders of the team were this year, I think most people would throw in Kyle Finnegan, Lane Thomas and Josiah Gray. So to see those guys recognized, it's well-deserved.